Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The director, Ethan Hawke, explores the life and lessons of pianist teacher Sage Seymour Bernstein. Since giving up his career as a concert pianist at the age of 50, Seymour has dedicated his life to teaching his students and himself about music, happiness, and the power of detached satisfaction from success. I am so honored and thrilled to have with us today the subject of the film, uh, Seymour, an introduction. That would be Seymour Bernstein. Seymour, welcome to film school. Oh, thank you, Mike. Thank you for being here. Uh, I understand. Are you in Los Angeles? Are we finding you in L.A.? Oh, yes. I'm in L.A. Fantastic. I arrived here with Greg Lozier. Mm -hmm. You know, he's responsible for most of the sound and everything concerned with the documentary. And he came out here with me. Are you going to be playing while you're out here? or No. I'm I'm just participating (laughs) in the Q&A sessions at the end of the screening. Very good. And uh, and there are other interviews yes. with other press people. And uh, last night, you know, I was thrilled out of my mind. Uh, the, the movie screened in a brand new auditorium with the sound that I never heard before. Is that right? Oh, it was just marvelous. <laughs> and the moderator was so wonderful. It was very thrilling. And now here I'm speaking with another inspirational guy. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, you're you're obviously, okay, in town, and it is playing, and I want to get this right. I believe you're at the NoHo. I'll get this right. Anyway, let's get into what we're going to talk about here, which is uh, the the film uh, Seymour, an introduction. Uh, Obviously, as we mentioned, Ethan Hawke directed this. Tell me a little bit about meeting Ethan, and then what sort of led him uh, to do a a film with you and your your initial reaction to his offer. Oh, yes. Well, it's a very dramatic story. It started with a pupil of mine calling me up to invite me to dinner, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and during the discussion, he said, Ethan Hawke and Andrew Harvey are coming. And I said, and who are they? <laughs> so I had to Google both of them. Uh-huh. And of course, when I saw who Ethan Hawke was, I knew, of course, I knew he, who he was. I had seen him in many movies. And Andrew Harvey is a spiritual leader. He lectures all around the world. So I went to the dinner, and what can I tell you? We started to talk. It was like an electric current turned on. And uh, the conversation centered around performing. After all, Ethan and I are both performers in different fields. And then the conversation shifted to nervousness. And we all agreed that all performers are nervous. But Ethan was a little troubled by his stage fright. And I helped him a lot to understand that and to explain to him that it was, after all, an indication of his sense of responsibility to his art Mm -hmm. and to his audience. 
And it's a superhuman feat to do what he does. And so nervousness has to be a concomitant of that. Can't get away from it. And I said to him, look, Ethan, you should say to yourself, I have a right to be nervous. And then just stop fretting about it. You're not going to get rid of it. Mm. So you just go and prepare yourself in such a way that you can perform in spite of your nervousness. And then the nervousness acts as your best friend because it heightens your emotional projection. It, it makes your brain sharper with the adrenaline flowing through your body. And even your, your physical movements are enhanced by this. So it doesn't have to be an enemy. It can be your best friend. Well, Nobody ever said that to him before. And then when the evening ended, they wanted to hear me play. And I said to them, I would rather play in my own studio because I love my own piano. And you know I hadn't performed in public for some 37 years Hmm. when this occurred. So a year later, because that's how long it took them, to get to my apartment, they were on tour making movies and set, etc. So I did play an hour program for them in my apartment, and Andrew Harvey came up to me wiping away a tear, which moved me very deeply. And he said the following to me, whether you want to or not, we're making a documentary on you, and Ethan is going to direct it. Well, I was speechless, but in my mind, I thought, now, why are they doing this um, for the likes of me? Who am I so special? I know so many more impressive pianists that could make a documentary on me. I really didn't understand. But later on, when Ethan was discussing what he intended to do, I realized that he had read my book with your own two hands. Mm -hmm. And the thesis of that book is that a serious commitment to practicing and performing can make you not only a better musician, but more importantly, a better person. And that's what the documentary is all about. Ethan wanted to project, especially to young people, that a passion for an art form can not only improve the art form, but actually filter into your life. And that's what Ethan had in mind from the very beginning. Well, and you're, I think that's a, a very good description of the, of the film in, this, in, in a very key way, and that is... It is about the music. Obviously, you're an accomplished pianist and a, a, a lifetime of music. But it's so much more, and, and I think that's revealed in the conversations that you have, not only with Ethan, but with your friends and with your students and in yes. your teaching. Well, I, you see, the piano, it's all about a pianist, right? But the piano becomes a metaphor for anything that you work on to express whatever talent you have. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about you. 
Seymour Bernstein. And by the way, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Seymour Bernstein. He is the subject of the film Seymour and Introduction. And I was, uh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake when I said uh, the theater. You'll be probably, I assume you're going to be at the Landmark Theater uh, in West Hollywood tonight. Uh, it's also playing at the Pasadena Playhouse 7. It opens here in the Los Angeles area. Um, and please go see this, people. Um, it, so tell me a little bit about your background. When did you start uh, to play piano? Oh, well, uh, someone gave us an old upright piano when I was six years old, and that's when I had my first piano lesson. But whenever I visited an aunt of mine from the age of three on, I always played on her old upright piano. And the first time I ever pushed down some keys when I was about three, I thought to myself, well, this is my life. You know, even at three, I knew this is a secret life of mine. I have to do this. Okay, so from there, you you, you started, at some point, you started taking lessons. Um, yes, at six. At six years old. And um, do you remember a point in your young life when when you knew that not only was it your passion, but it was also something that you, it was your voice, it was your, it was, and that you, you were, you belonged there. Well, there? let's use the word life, right? Okay, yeah. You know, one famous act, one famous writer said, my art form is not just a way of life, it is my life. So uh, I knew when I was a teenager that music is my life. It's not just a means of expression. It's going to filter into everything that I do in life. Okay. Okay. So uh, when did you start uh, public performance? At what point were you... um, Well, I was always playing in grammar school Mm -hmm. in the auditorium. Mm -hmm. So I would say, oh, even eight and nine and ten years old, I would play in the auditorium with solos, or I would play march music when they had a graduation, and or I would accompany um, musical performances that the music department put on in grammar school and high school. And then when I was a teenager, I filtered out and I would be engaged by music organizations and other organizations to be the soloist. So I was playing at a rather early age. Then I started winning contests when I was in my late teens. Now, let me ask you, this one thing, you, when you say you know, music is your life, and this is what you want. This is what you you feel that you're that you're going to do for your life. Um, what what is the sense of how does that factor in when people begin to recognize you as a performer? Uh, what sort of a how does that change or does it change your perception? You're going to do this no matter. It sounds like you're going to do this no matter what because it 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 is you. But when people start to tell you things about, you know how how accomplished you are, and uh, they want you to play, they want you to play. How does it good and bad? I mean, is it all good? How does how does that 
change your perception, or if it doesn't, what does it do for you? You mean the perception of myself? Yeah, the perception of yourself, exactly. Yes. Well, you see, I firmly believe that all of us are always searching for what we call our identity. You know, the very thing about us that defines us more than anything else. And in my opinion, uh, the essence of our identity lies in whatever talent we have. So when you develop this talent seriously, you're not just, it's just not an isolated thing. If the talent is the essence of your identity, then you're developing your whole self, see? By the way, the, the composer Mendelssohn thought the same thing. He thought that music, more than words, expressed the deepest part of us. And m- music is a, is a wordless language, but somehow, through music, we can express a part of ourselves that can't be expressed in any other way. And that part of ourselves, I think, is what I call our identity. So that's why I always say that music is my life. Mm-hmm. It determines my life. Mm-hmm. But um, we're speaking with Seymour Bernstein. He's the subject of the film, uh, Seymour, an introduction. It's uh, opening tonight here in Los Angeles uh, at the Pasadena Playhouse 7 and also at the Landmark Theater in West Los Angeles. And it, I'm guessing you're going to be at the West Hollywood Landmark Theater yes. tonight um, for this. For our, I'm going to, to be for, at all the Q&A sessions. Okay. Okay. You may be moving around. Okay. Uh, but look for it. Um, anyway, so you were doing public performances, but you made a decision at some point um, in your career as a public performer to stop doing it. What went into that decision for you? Okay, well, uh, around, look here, when I was performing, and as I said before, everyone battles with nervousness, Mm -hmm. uh, I never felt that I was able to play as succinctly as I can on the stage as I did when I was alone. And I was fighting against this all the time. I think most performers are like that. Well, around the age of 50, I had the feeling when I was on the stage that uh, now I've reached a certain pinnacle. I can play the way I want to in spite of my nervousness. And that gave me the courage to face a very serious desire of mine, which was to compose and to write. Before the age of 50, I practiced eight hours a day, I think, sometimes a little less, in order to survive on the stage. And I would never stop teaching, so I was teaching at the same time. It ruled out any possibility of my finding the time to write and compose. Mm -hmm. But once I reached that pinnacle of playing the way I wanted to, I thought, well, now I can call it to a halt. And so I arranged a farewell concert without telling anyone. 
And the very next day, I was liberated, <laughs> and I started to write and compose, and I never stopped, and I've been happier ever since. And the interesting thing is, in my opinion, I play better than I ever did. Well, and I, and I in watching Seymour and Introduction, I can tell you that in addition to I, I make no claim to be an expert. Uh, I dabble in classical music in terms of listening to it, but what I think comes across in my what comes across in your performances in this film is your ability to invest emotional. You, you, there's a feeling. Not only is the technical part of it beautiful, but I listening to you, I, I feel the music, and. I just think that's such a gift. It is such a remarkable gift. Now, listen, Mike, you know, I'm a musician, right? Yeah. I'm ear conscious, yeah. right? Yeah. Musicians especially are ear conscious. And um, to return a compliment, I can tell by your speaking voice and by your use of language that you yourself are a very deep, articulate person. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I, 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 let's, I want to ask you about sort of the, the, the more technical side of uh, this, the, this movie, uh, Seymour and Introduction. Uh, did it, you're, you're a private person by your admission and you're in the film. You, you enjoy the, your being uh, alone, which I think is, a, I wouldn't say a brave thing to say, but it's not something that a lot of people like to admit because I think there's there's almost a stigma attached to wanting to be, um, you know, you enjoy the company of people. Obviously, you, you, you the, and your students are certainly a testament to that. But I thought I just like to I liked hearing that because I feel that sort of the same way. I, I I enjoy being around people, but I like I like my solitude. Um, but what was it like with that in mind? What was it like to have cameras in your life? Oh, well, that's, you know, the cameras themselves, this is just another phase of being the performer, being in the spotlight. You know, when you're on the stage, let's say the audience is the camera, mm -hmm. and they're also the microphone, so now they, they turn into objects. It isn't very much different. The, uh, of course, the fr you know, I was never in a movie before. And Ethan Hawke is a formidable figure. Yeah. So naturally, the first two or three shots, I was spooked out. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. But after that, it was so easy for me. I, I had no qualms whatsoever. And it was just like having a conversation, just as I'm speaking with you. Mm -hmm. And Ethan made that possible by not having a script or uh, any preliminary um, uh, uh, experiences or tryouts or anything like that. So he would just arrive at the place of the shoot, whether it's my apartment or a tea room, or a master class at NYU. Two, I gave two of them there. So I, I would just arrive there without knowing at all 
what he had in mind. And then he would just ask me to do certain things. For example, on one shoot in my apartment, he perched himself in the corner of my room while the camera was rolling on me. And he said to me, Seymour, practice for the concert you're going to give to my theater group and talk out loud while you're practicing. Oh, my. Ethan, I never talk out loud when I'm practicing. So he said, well, you certainly must be talking to yourself. I said, yeah, I do. Well, now do it out loud. (laughs) And you know that's how the movie starts. Yeah. I'm practicing and I'm talking out loud. Well, also, Seymour, it's not quite the end of the film, but it's it, we pick that up at the end of the film as well. And that is my favorite parts of the film. It's just such an enjoyable experience, just on you know, cinematically, but just also the just to spend time with you. But I, my favorite parts of the film are when you're teaching your master class. Yes. Uh, and your ability to not only verbally but physically convey to your students what they know that they're looking for but haven't quite found yet. And the way that you do it, you do it in such a way that you make them part of that process. And I think that's such an important thing for a teacher to be able to do. Well, see, if I didn't practice all my life and learn from performing, I wouldn't be able to pass that on to my students. So I don't regret any mo- moment that I did this, even though it was anguish, lots of it was anguish, striving f- to perfect something is always a difficult task. And the tendency is to turn our back on it. But if you realize that the life process is a series of overcoming challenges, and that's how I led my life. I wasn't able to do this passage in this piece uh, on Monday, but by Friday it started to show that it was going to be fulfilled, something like that, yeah. a year after year, month, right? Yeah. And so the accumulation of skills is what enabled me to pass this on to my pupils. And when we do accomplish something through the development of our talent, it gives us a sense of well-being. And now I have to be a little more specific and perhaps uh, risk sounding egoistic, but it enables us to love ourselves. When you learn to love yourself, And it's very hard-earned, in other words, when you really can accomplish something that you're proud of. And you say, you know, I really love myself for being able to do that. Only then can you contribute to others. Um, Thank you for that. I want to, uh, one last thing before we let you go, Um, in addition to the practicing and you're as you speak as you are playing the piece i believe i have this right the schumann schumann piece at the end of the film um that you that kind of goes from the practice into the actual 
concert setting. Have I do I have that correct? Yes, it was the last movement of the Schumann fantasy that he wrote for his beloved Clara Schumann, whom he married. You know, he was twenty-five; mm-hmm. she was sixteen, and and he sent the piece to her and said, "You are the note of my life." Yeah. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Well, it's one of the most beautiful pieces ever written. So I was happy to include that. And by the way, Mike, did you see at the climax of the piece at Steinway when we, the camera was looking through the window? Yes. Did you see the horse and buggy yes. go by? I was just yes. I was just going to say, I uh, people who see this film, you just. You, you, the ending of this film is just unbelievable. The way it was framed, I, 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 yes, absolutely. Not only do, oh, go, go ahead, please. Yeah, well, you know, Ethan, when it was all over, he was at my side. Said Seymour, you're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> the horse and buggy went by right at the climax of your piece, and, and no one is going to believe that it wasn't staged. Yeah. It's it, Robert and Clara were riding by in their buggy. <laughs> well, that part of the film is again just to reiterate what you're you're saying that not only we go from your practicing of the piece into the concert setting, um, and it, it's the, in addition to that particular moment, it's the slice of life, the people walking by, looking in, stopping, pausing, walking by. It it's such a beautiful uh, tapestry and 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 the, the way that it all kind of ties together in this beautiful music being played with this rapt attention of the people in the audience and outside the world is is moving and bustling and all the rest of it. It's just a fantastic end, a fantastic scene. I, I will remember that for a, forever. It, it's just well, beautiful. Well, you see, Mike, only you and one other. Critic in, in writing a review remarked about that, and uh, and the reviewer even went so far as to say, "Well, the theme of the documentary is about how music can influ- influence your life." And at the end of the movie, there was life yes. bustling all around the concert hall, yes. and inside the concert hall. And it was amalgamated together, synthesized together, as though it was a metaphor for the thesis of the of the documentary itself. And you picked that up. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful scene. That's why I want to tie that in with Ethan's uh, work here. Uh, it's a beautiful film. It's beautifully paced. Uh, Don't you it, think he created a masterpiece? He, it's I yes. I I think that you know well he had he had a great collaborator and um uh, I I you know what if if we ever meet Seymour I'm not going to shake your hand I'm going to hug you how's that so oh, be prepared this, this, that's <laughs> so, so dear thank you so much thank you thank you so much for being here um Seymour Bernstein the film is uh, Seymour an introduction it's opening today here. March twentieth, uh, uh, two thousand and fifteen, here in Los Angeles, and Seymour is going to be in town for a couple of days. He'll be at Q and A, so I would strongly suggest you check with the Landmark Theater in the Pasadena Soho. Find out to be sure which one and where and how all that. 
and please, please, please go back, go and and have an, you'll have an opportunity to talk with this wonderful man. Um, thank you so much for being a part of film school. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.